This week we'll begin number 11, well in our lesson at least, lesson 11, part one. And we're working through uh, Sinclair Ferguson's book, uh, his book on the Holy Spirit. It's been a really, really good study, uh, good book, good, good read. It's good stuff to meditate on and to study and to think through. Um, and this morning we begin part one, the communion of the spirit. So this, for me, honestly, is one of the um, my favorite subjects to, 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 to think about, to, to talk about, to meditate on. Um, I, when I initially read this, this book a few years ago, this was a subject, along with uh, John Owen's work on the Holy Spirit, that uh, it just transformed um, how I understood communion with, with God. And I just, it's something that I love to, to talk about, and hopefully that spills over when I wake up a little more. <laughs> um, but the tea should help. Um, so I want to start by reading a few verses Someone go to Romans 5, 5. And if you want to just say, I'll take it. Romans 5, 5. Who wants that? Matt, thank you. Romans 8, 16. Thank you. Arani, Galatians 4, 6. All right, Crystal. And then someone else just park at 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Okay, so Romans 5 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love pours into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Okay, and then Romans 8 16. Right, and then Galatians 4 6. Okay, so looking at these three verses and uh, recognizing the, what's um, similar about, about every verse, it highlights the, the Holy Spirit in Romans 5, 5, the Spirit, Romans 8, 6, the Spirit again in Galatians 4, 6. Now, what do all of these verses tell us about the Christian's experience as he participates in the love of God? What do these different verses tell us about the Christian experience in relation to the love of God? What comes to mind for you? We're children of God. Right? Yep. We're children of God. What else? Hmm. Yep. So the Spirit has been has been sent to the believer, which we'll talk about in a bit, and um, uh, seals, affirms that love for us and in us. What else? The Holy Spirit pours God's love into our hearts. Yeah. Yep. So the Holy Spirit is the one pouring, uh, communicating God's love to our, our hearts. Anything else come to mind? Anything else you, you see there? Who's that 2 Corinthians 13, 14? Who wants to read that for us? Okay. 
Go for it. Thank you. Now, this Second Corinthians thirteen fourteen um, uh, has been uh, referred to as a yeah, Trinitarian benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, recognizing our one God who is triune, and here, although. We know that the works of the our triune God, the works of the Trinity are not, not divided. They have um, inseparable operations. But here, it's uh, emphasizing it's uh, an aspect of our fellowship with God to uh, a person of the Trinity. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Sinclair Ferguson says, The whole of the Christian life then with its deep roots and the love of the Father and its foundation and the grace of Christ is characterized by what Paul calls the koinonia of the, fellow, of, of the Holy Spirit, the, the fellowship, communion of the Holy Spirit. Now, with that sort of intro, I want us to, to think through uh, this in a couple of different categories. So one, we'll look at the eschatological structure and thinking about the communion of the Spirit. Now, in the Old Testament, God would live alongside or with his people through the Spirit of God's presence in the tabernacle or the temple. Now, you can remember the language of the Old Testament when the people would rebel or choose idols over the living God. The Bible uses this language and it would say that the the glory uh, left the temple or departed from the temple. There was a, a temporal nature to the presence of God amongst his people in the old covenant. The blessing of God's presence would come and depart depending on the people's obedience to the law and devotion to their covenant God. Now, thinking about Christ, who is the embodiment of the presence of God among his people, one of the names given to Christ, I'm going to throw this out again, um, what's, what's one of the titles given to Christ that uh, communicates something to us about his presence, God's presence with his people? What comes to mind? Spirit. Okay, what else? Yep, Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is, it, it's, this is intentional. Um, it points back to um, Old Covenant and how God would dwell with his people. Christ is, uh, he's the, the Emmanuel. He's God dwelling with us, God uh, tabernacling amongst his people. <clears throat> In the New Testament, the indwelling of the spirit is more personal in nature because Christ is given with the spirit. He's given the spirit rather beyond measure, which was mentioned, which Barani mentions uh, as he's given the spirit beyond measure. He's filled with the spirit and his power and his presence. And because of his perfect life of obedience and fulfillment to the covenant obligations, 
he has the right to ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit, to send the Helper. So the Holy Spirit would now dwell or indwell believers personally as the spirit of the resurrected Christ. And Andrew talked about this a few weeks ago, which was really, really good study. Now, the temple that he would enter and depart from has become the permanent place, the permanent dwelling place of God and the New Testament people, which are referred to as the temple of God. Think about the old covenant where the spirit would, uh, the presence of God, the spirit would dwell and depart and come and, and depart as blessing and judgment. And the New Testament, it refers to the body of Christ as the temple of God and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. So again, you see the continuity, there's discontinuity, but you, you see the continuity between the old covenant and the new covenant on this subject of the, the presence of God dwelling with his people. There's an intimacy here, and it's worth meditating on. In John 14, when Jesus is departing and promises that the Holy Spirit will come, he says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you also live. And that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. It's glorious to think about what Christ is saying here, what he's communicating about our relationship and communion with our triune God by the Spirit. And it's hard for something, this is hard to even get our, our minds around. And I, I don't, it doesn't weigh on me like it should, the fellowship that we have with, with God by the Spirit. Ferguson has this term for it. He calls it a pattern of inner Trinitarian relationships. A pattern of inner Trinitarian relationships. He says, just as there is a mutual indwelling of Father and Son revealed by the Spirit, so the indwelling of the same Spirit, Christ and the believer are united. By the indwelling of the same Spirit, Christ and the believer are united. Turn to John 17, 24. John 17, 24. Whoever gets there first, go ahead and read it nice and loud for us. This, this is amazing to, to think about. By our adoption as sons and daughters of God, Jesus prays that we will be brought into the love uh, relationship between the Father and the Son. The, the point here is not that we become deity or become um, gods. He's praying that we would have some participation in this inner Trinitarian love and be, be uh, brought in by the Holy Spirit to have fellowship with God in this inner Trinitarian love, that we would be swept up 
and have some participation. There, there's, a, there's mystery here, but that we would have some participation in this Trinitarian inter, love fellowship and relationship. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. In Ferguson's book, he starts to develop some of these distinctions between the present indwelling of the spirit and the future indwelling of the spirit. He, well, before I go there, this, this idea of uh, participation and fellowship with uh, the this Trinitarian love is something that should um, stabilize your comfort and God's love for you as a believer. Right? So his love isn't wavering. It's not mutable. It's not changing. It doesn't go up and down uh, because Christ has purchased for us uh, this inter-Trinitarian love and fellowship with God. And it's not based upon how you did this past week or this past month or anything in you. It's because of Christ that God's love for you is, is fixed. And so it, it's not just sort of high, lofty, uh, theological, uh, you know, intellectual thinking just to, to do it. It's not an exercise in futility. It actually helps the soul to uh, have a stable foundation in God's love for his children. But Ferguson talks about the present indwelling of the spirit as we experience it now and the dwelling of the spirit and the future. The spirit indwells bodies now that are weak and, and mortal. Right now, he dwells in bodies that are stained by sin and the corrupt nature affects our physical bodies. But then, he says, he will dwell in them by transforming their entire physical existence. We get sick now. We get sleepy, tired. We mourn. We fret their sin that discourages us, that uh, makes us feel that God's love for us has shift. All of these things we deal with in these bodies of sin. Um, and he's saying that when we think about the relationship between the spirit indwelling us now and the spirit indwelling us then, that it has to go beyond simply um, that um, I won't be um, sad anymore or I won't have to deal with sin anymore. Uh, the spirit will give us bodies fit for um, experiencing the love of God eternally, but never actually reaching the bottom of it. It's, it's this bottomless um, well of God's love and uh, we experience it by the spirit now in part, but then um, fully yet never fully satisfied, but growing in a longing for it. Just again, amazing to, to even think about. He says, we will not only dwell in them, or he, he will not only dwell in them, the spirit and the believer, but transform their entire physical existence. Now, a few verses sort of bring this out. Someone go to Romans 8, 18 to 23. Who wants that one? All right, Corrine, and then 1 Corinthians 4, 17 to 18. Ronnie, and then 1 John 3, 1 to 3. 
crystal. All right, Romans 8 first. Second Corinthians four seventeen to eighteen. John 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone thus hopes in him, purifies himself as he is pure. Okay, thank you. So in those three verses, again, we see uh, discontinuity and we see continuity. We see that we are children of God now. We experience the love of God now. But what we will be, we are not yet. What we will experience, we do not experience yet fully. So there's a, there's a, uh, there's a gradual sort of glory to glory, as Paul uh, defines it, in our experience as, as Christians. We know the love of God. We experience the love of God, but then we will experience it fully by the Spirit um, as he fits us for heaven, as he fits us for the presence of God. Now, jumping down to the next uh, section there, earnest. I want to talk about that for a bit. In the New Testament, Paul refers to the Holy Spirit as an earnest. Now, have you heard of that, that term before? What does that mean in, in uh, biblical language, earnest? Or, or in any, any language, <laughs> any, any context? What comes to mind? Doreen, down payment. Yes. So I was going for it. It's a, the, the, the Hebrew origin of the word means a pledge, part of a purchase that's paid up front, sort of a down payment to uh, secure future payment. Again, a pledge, part of the purchase money or property given in advance as security for the rest earnest think about it like this if you're 
selling your, your car um, and someone says, I really want this car, you're selling it for $6,000. They meet you and say, I really want this car, I'll give you $2,000. This is proof that I'm serious and I will bring the other 4,000 in a couple of days, right? So if it's on Facebook Marketplace, you, you, you go to pending status until they bring the rest. Right? It's for the barter folks out there. Can't just be me, I'm sure. <laughs> Right, so they, they promise to bring you the rest. That, that's the idea behind um, earnest in, in that context of this. It's a pledge, it's a, it's a down payment. <clears throat> They're saying, I will come back with the rest of the money. Here's how you know you can trust me. They give you a down payment and, and earnest. Ferguson wrote, the spirit is the guarantee that the final installment of salvation and glory is assured. Let's read a few verses together where we see this type of language. Um, 2 Corinthians 1.22. Turn there and I'll go ahead and read it for us. Again, we're looking for this language of, of, of earnest, pledge, uh, guarantee. In 2 Corinthians 1.22. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. That's the word, the Hebrew word, at least for, for earnest. Second Corinthians 5, 5. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. Ephesians 1, 14. Speaking of the spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Spirit in our hearts, guarantee. Spirit given as a guarantee. Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire full possession of it. You see how Paul, or the Spirit leads Paul to write about the nature of his presence in the life of the Christian. He's residing in us now, yet we're never meant to think of the Spirit's presence in us only in a, a presence tense way. His presence in us is not only present tense because he says that the Spirit is the pledge or down payment, the earnest of more to come. He's the glorious pledge of the greater reality at the consummation, but not just that. You know how we've talked about um, the already sort of not yet nature of of revelation and God's God's presence. Christ is the inauguration of the age to come breaking into this age. So that means his his miracles uh, as they worked, as he worked them are a display of the divine reversal of the sinful effects of the fall. The blind see, the lame walk, the dead are raised. That which is come is, is displayed and Christ works to reverse something, right? We, because of sin, you're sick, blind, lame, spiritually, physically. Christ reverses this and his miracles display that. His miracles are saying, in the age to come, that's what men will be and experience. Um, perfect bodies, clear sight minds, uh, even the, the physical bodies. He's, he's reversing something. Now, when you think about that already not yet in relation to the Holy Spirit, 
the indwelling spirit is the down payment. Ferguson again says, what is given to us now is the spirit who rightly belongs to the future, whose presence indwelling believers implies the future reality has become proleptically present. In other words, it's the expectation of a reality that we now experience of something that will be surpassing than what we now experience. This is, this is good. We have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. It's good. We enjoy it. God shows his kindness to us. But what we will experience is surpassing what we experience now. What we will experience surpasses what we experience now. Romans 8.11, it says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. In you. The Spirit gives life to our mortal bodies now that will continue in the age to come. The difference is that our mortal bodies now are bodies of death. They're plagued by sin. The life given to our mortal bodies will be the eschatological or final deliverance from the bodies of sin that are affected by death. The body of sin will be brought to nothing but the power of the spirit of the resurrected Christ, we will be made fit for heaven, for eternal glory and perfect fellowship with our triune God. The presence of the indwelling spirit of God in your life now is a foretaste, a taste of that glorious reality that we will experience in the future, that we will take full possession of. Uh, And any thoughts on that before we go to the next part of the class? Ernest, the uh, presence of the Spirit in us now as the guarantee of what God has promised for the future. Any thoughts, anything come to mind for you? Any other verses? Does it make sense? (laughs) Or is it too early still? (laughs) I know I'm saying a lot, but I want to hear from you. For that very reason, or in part, the Spirit indwells us for that confidence in the promises of God, that what he said he will do uh, and has given his very spirit as uh, security for that, which is, again, an amazing thought.
Any other thoughts? Is this something you think about when you are discouraged over sin, when you wonder about or wonder about the love of God? Do you wonder about the love of God? Um, do you often think, oh, the, the Holy Spirit lives in me? <laughs> Is that something that comes to mind for you? It doesn't for me as often as it should. I'm, Usually, and I'm sure not, I'm not alone in this, and I think this is also taught too, but we're usually taught to think about what we see outside of us as confirmation of God's love for us. Um, I got the job promotion, God must love me. Um, I was able to get the car, God must love me. My relationship with my spouse is going well, God must love me. Um, those, it's fine to recognize God's kindness in those different ways and attribute it to his love for you. We ought to do that. But do you ever think about his seal, his, his guarantee, his, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as proof that God does love you and cares for you and will bring you to the end? <clears throat> I, w- I want to add that to your, your catalog of, of encouragement when you think about our triune God. Barani? Yeah. So it's a whole daily reminder. You could have like left me. Right. You didn't have to say anything. Right. And so it's always a good reminder. Right. Yeah. Me, while we're getting Christ died for me. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. That's a great reminder. Yep. All right, let's let's jump down to the next topic. First fruits. The Spirit is also the first fruits of the consummation. Romans 8.23 says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So in, in Paul's day, within sort of a more agricultural context, the first fruits were the beginning of the harvest and assurance of what was to come. So two places in 1 Corinthians refer to Christ actually as the first fruits of our resurrection redemption. Someone go to 1 Corinthians 15, 20. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. Whoever gets there, go ahead, Matt. Thank you. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. All right, thank you. And then 1 Corinthians 15:23, someone else want to read that? Thank you. So take note of the assurance language that Paul uses here. 
He connects Christ's redemptive work as accomplished and applied, and he connects that to the resurrection life of the believer. Christ's victory and glory is the assurance of the redemption of the believer. Christ has not failed, right? Uh, Salvation's been accomplished, applied by the Spirit. Therefore, our redemption is sealed. It's it's promised. We we will no more um, not be redeemed, if I can put it that way, um, than than Christ can can fail, right? So his, um, his victory, his success as he fulfills uh, God's law and purchases and earns for us uh, the covenant of, of grace, the Spirit brings us into this covenant. It's, it's tied to Christ. Again, not to our good works, but to Christ. His success is, is our success. And we will experience it fully in the age to come. Now, that, that doesn't mean, and I hope I haven't communicated this, that, that doesn't mean that we experience um, 30% of God's love now and then we'll experience 70% then and then we have 100% of God's love for us. He's not withholding from us his, his love so that it's only sort of measured out little. No, he's given us in Christ by the Spirit his affection for us fully and wholly. God's not withholding anything from us. Our sinful bodies and our lack of belief um, affects how we understand the love of God. But the issue is not God's. The the, the issue is ours. The issue is that we dwell in these bodies of of sin. Um, If you think about it like this, if if you go to, we're to go to a restaurant, and I'm just thinking about the immutable love of God. If you go to a restaurant, you, you want to order takeout and you go online and um, you, you go to the menu and it says some of these uh, menu products may not be available. Um, the, the products on the menu, they are subject to change, right? You order something from Four Rivers here. You go to Four Rivers somewhere else. I like Four Rivers. Shoot me. You, you go somewhere else to order it and they say, well, though, that, that's not available here. The menu was subject to change. When you think about God's immutable love for us, it doesn't have a category where it's subject to change. Um, he's fixed. God is, 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 is one. He's simple being. Um, he doesn't have variations or shadows due to change. Right. So it, it, it's not a varying or a, a, a variety of, of love for you. It's fixed in Christ for you. Being possessed, being indwelt by the spirit is the guarantee of this. It's the guarantee of God's immutable love for us. That love that was eternally set upon you in Christ before the creation of the world. Now, we don't feel that all the time like we should. We, we, we vary. We go up. We go down. We have good days and we feel God definitely loves me today. I was killing it. I love my, my, my family well. I was patient with my kids. At work, I did a great job. Um, and we... I look at these external things and we say, God, God loves me. And then on days where we don't feel like we've done well, we don't rest easy. We rest uncomfortable. It's, it, there's this uneasiness. Does God still love me the same? He can't love me the same, we might say. Look at what I did. 
what I, what I thought, how I responded. His love must be, maybe not a lot, but in some sense, he has to have shifted in his love for me. And that's just simply not true. It's never the case. And the spirit, as the guarantee of God's love for us, is affirmation, right? We, we ought to be able to meditate on that and have an eye to the spirit's work in our lives, not just if we can identify really, really ripe fruit and say, okay, now he loves me. But God can no, long, no more love you on the day when you stand before his presence and glory than he loved you in this past week. It, 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 it will not change. When the spirit recreates our bodies of sin, we will be given glorified bodies, again, fit for further or to further comprehend the love of God. But even then, it will be finite trying to comprehend the infinite. It's this glorious endeavor of growing in a fuller comprehension of the love of God. But God is bottomless. So we will spend all eternity growing in a knowledge of the love of our triune God, but never reaching the bottom of it. Um, that's, again, a, a glorious thing to meditate on. Pause there. Any thoughts before you move to seal? Would you agree that we tend to look outward as um, for, for affirmation of God's love? <clears throat> and if so, why? Why do you think we do that? I know for me, like, there's times that it's hard to, to be like, man, God loved me so much for what he's done that even if I don't see it, that I can recognize that love. So in looking for things, like said, a job promotion, or that's like validation. Okay, God mm. did this for me. Therefore, yeah. I can see it. I can comprehend it. I can feel it. And that's like a register of things for me. So it's like easier to process that love in that way than it is yeah. like I have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in me. And that in of itself is enough love mm. for all of my life's standards. Yeah, yeah. Yep, that's good. Yep. I appreciate the honesty there, too. Yeah. Yeah. And then I have to fight the feelings. It's mm. not what I feel, it's what I know. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, it's feelings that it's simple. Yeah, right. Yep, that's the fight. <laughs> How you feel and what scripture says. They don't line up sometimes, often. And I, I think about the Psalms. <clears throat> Soul. Why are you downcast within me? Hope in God. He preaches to his own soul. He, he tells his soul what to think about God. Why are you downcast? There's, if you walk past a person and they're saying soul, they're, they're on a wall and they're saying soul, why are you downcast? Like they're probably <laughs> doing the right thing. Preaching to them themselves. Uh, preaching the word, not just um, arbitrary, loose you know, frothy um, promises, but the word of God. Preach the word of God to your soul. When your feelings don't don't align. What else? Any other thoughts? Yeah, just remember, probably a very short sighted. Hmm. Just having God's 
Right. Like if that sort of theological perspective were, I think, which, which we all feel sometimes when we go through suffering um, and, we, and that sort of denigrates God's love. If that theological perspective were true and consistent for the Christian, then you have to look at Christ and say, did God love him? Which is a perish the thought, right? Like Christ himself endured, uh, predestined, decreed to endure suffering for the salvation of the elect. God's love for his eternally begotten son is not wavered, right? So even looking at the Lord Jesus Christ ought to be uh, uh, something that gives us a, a right perspective of the love of God. Any other thoughts? God like men. We do <clears throat> hold at, we, we, we withhold affection when we're offended. We give more affection when we're feeling really good. Um, and we, we vary, but not with the Lord. It's, it's true. Um, it's to, to treat God as, as a man is to um, really to sin against him. Um, and it does affect our understanding of God's character and his, his love for us. <clears throat> All right, let's go down to the next section. Seal. Someone go to Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. And read that for us nice and loud. The theology of the sealing of the spirit within the church has been um, understood by some as the stamp of the image of Christ upon the new believer, a sort of reproducing of the likeness of Christ on the believer, um, not simply sealing in, but branding upon the believer 
uh, a new identity and uh, likeness to Christ. Now, in that sense, the sealing of the Spirit is the guarantee of our full maturity into Christ's likeness. So, what we, um, when, when we see in Ephesians 4, um, and we, we pray that we grow in the stature and the, the full measure of manhood in Christ. Um, have you thought about the sealing of the Spirit as the promise um, that that will, will happen? Our sanctification, right? So not just glorification, not just consummation, not just eschatological refer- in reference to end time, but even our sanctification is by the Spirit and a guarantee because of the Spirit's presence in the believer. So he doesn't leave us where we are. He's actually sanctifying us. Um, even when we look at our life and see things that you wonder, well, why do I still struggle with this area? Or why do I still deal with that? Or why is this still a reality in my own heart and soul? Um, the Spirit, again, is a guarantee that you will be sanctified. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The person of the Spirit can be sinned against. Um, he works in the life of the believer so that they hate sin more, so that they more fully comprehend the, the love of God, that they fully, more fully understand their triune God. But he's working in them and putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Ferguson in another place, or probably got from Owen, but he said that as the Spirit worked in the life of of Christ, it's by the Spirit that uh, Christ was born of a virgin. Uh, It's by the Spirit that Christ grew in stature and wisdom. It's by the Spirit that Christ offered himself up, it says in Hebrews, to be crucified. It's by the Spirit that he was resurrected and ascended. He says that as the Spirit works in the life of Christ, he also works in the affections of the believer. He's killing old affections and raising to new life, new affections. So there's this cyclical work of the Spirit in the life of the Christian, where he's sanctifying us in that way, imitating what he did in the life of Christ. So he's renovating our affections, our passions, our desires, so that we do not serve the passions of the body and the mind. Um, He is the seal upon us and in us. And the effects of this seal are evident in our lives. So whenever you can recognize, as Barani said earlier, um, a desire to pray that uh, he could have left me in my sin, but saved me. Now I desire to pray and to read the Bible and to fellowship. And I'm seeing areas in my life where the spirit is sanctifying me, where I'm not sinning in the way that I was before. Like all of these should be sort of platforms for thanksgiving to our triune God for the power and the work of the spirit in you. So there's always reason to be to be thankful, Um, not simply looking outward, not simply looking inward, but recognizing the presence of the spirit in the life of of the believer. Um, because it's promised in Scripture, uh, we are sealed by the Spirit, and He is and has guaranteed to bring us to that day where we do not sin and we have fuller comprehension of God's love for us. And so, all of this under the category of the communion 
of the Holy Spirit. We're trying to, in this class, sort of shine a light on the presence and the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. So that when you think about your Christian experience, you have broader categories for how our triune God works in your life. And specifically in this class, by the Spirit. I hope that was helpful for you. We have about five minutes left. Any other thoughts or questions? Or something that was was not clear that I can make more clear if possible. Thank you. It's actually what my Lord's Supper is about. My uh, homily today is on the already and not yet of the Lord's Supper. Yep, that's good. But yeah, just bringing out those the ordinary means of grace. Baptism, Romans six, uh, connects uh, union with Christ with with baptism, um, saying that if you have been um, united with Him in a death like His, you will also be united with Him in a resurrection like His. In the context there is, is, is baptism. So even looking back at our baptism, remembering our, our baptism as um, a point in which uh, God powerfully works through his means of grace for our confirmation, for our um, encouragement of heart, um, the Lord's Supper as a means of grace. Uh, these things Christ has given to his church for our soul's care. And as Tim helpfully said, he used the language, we've all been out at sea all week and we've come back to the harbor on the Lord's day to receive fresh grace through the means of grace. Um, so great reminder. Um, 
Any other thoughts? All right. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that you would make your word effective in our hearts and minds, that our souls would be refreshed by the promises of Scripture. I pray that you would bless what was taught. Lord, give legs and feet and cause it to to bear fruit. Um, I pray that I have done with my limited capacity in some sense justice to the, uh, the topic of the communion of the Spirit, Lord. And may your saints, may your children grow in fuller um, comprehension of your love that we'll never be able to fully apprehend it. I pray that you would help us to grow in a slightly fuller comprehension of, of your love for us and our fellowship with you by the Spirit. Thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit uh, for the decree of salvation for us, for the elect, for the uh, accomplishing of that salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ and the applying of the work of Christ to the account of the believer by the Holy Spirit. Um, Glory be to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, Help us, uh, grow us in a love for you, Lord. And I pray you will bless us now as we transition over into the the morning worship service. Um, Bless us, Lord. Let us uh, listen with attentive ears, joyful hearts, willing hands, and uh, may you be pleased to sanctify us in that, in that time for your glory and our good. In Christ's name, amen. Well, thank you.